morning church. Our reading is from Revelation 3 verse 14 to 20. To the angel of the church in Odyssea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your arms, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning. Um, so here we are, finally, the last letter. And oh my gosh, what a letter that one is, eh? I can't imagine sitting in church and hearing a letter like that being read out to me. A letter that says, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're blind, you're naked, you're so detestable I want to spit you out of my mouth. I'm not sure what your image of Jesus is, but this is not the Jesus that I usually think of. And so to understand this letter fully, we need to gain some background understanding of the city. So let's have a quick history lesson. Remember which way around this goes. Laodicea is, it was on a junction of two major routes. One was going north to south of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And there was also a, a major road going from the city down to the coast. And because of the strategic location, it became an important city for commerce and a banking centre. So it was a city that was known for its wealth. In fact, it became so wealthy when an earthquake destroyed it, they refused help from Rome and said, we'll pay for it ourselves. The city was also famous for soft, glossy black wool. Whoop, what's happened there? I've tuned it around the wrong way, that's what's gone wrong. Sorry. This is the first time I've used one of these, you can tell, eh? All right. Famous for its black wool. Uh, it was made into beautiful black woolen garments and also carpet, which added to their wealth. It was an important city for ancient medicine. The city based of a medical school that was known for its eye ointment, and it had been developed and was seen all around the Roman world. And around that time, there was also known to be a false teaching plaguing the churches in the locality. It was a form of Gnosticism that taught that Jesus was a created being. Jesus was just one of a series of manifestations from God. And those who held to this teaching claimed to possess a secret, higher spiritual knowledge or truth 
above and beyond the simple words of scripture. So that's your history lesson over. The letter to the church starts with, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are the words of the Amen. In Hebrew, the word Amen means certainty or truth. When we say it at the end of a prayer, we're saying, so be it, this is true. You can also go at the beginning of the sentence, and it means what I'm about to say is really important. So Jesus would start with truly, truly, and in Hebrew it would say, Amen, Amen. And then go on to say important things. So when Jesus is saying, these are the words of the Amen, he's saying, I am truth. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he repeats it in another way. He says, these are the words of the faithful and true witness. Again, that word truth. He's saying he's faithful. He can be trusted to give a message. He's not going to exaggerate the truth, and neither is he going to suppress the truth. And finally, these are the words of the ruler of all creation. By making the statement, Jesus is saying he's the source of creation. He hasn't been created. And he needed to make that statement to remind the church of who he was right at the beginning of this letter. He was not a created being. The teaching that was going around was a false teaching. And then he kicks off with the heavy stuff. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. What's interesting is in the cities near Laodicea, there were two places, the place Colossae, which you can see on the map hopefully, circled in red, it was famous for its cold mountain spring water, beautiful water that people would go to to drink. And then there was Herapolis, which was famous for its hot water, therapeutic springs that people went to to bathe in. And I love that Jesus uses words and images that the Laodiceans are most familiar with. Because you are lukewarm. Poor old Laodicea had loads of money, but what it didn't have was a good water system. Their water system was built, their source of water was quite a few miles away, and they had this aqueduct system that would come through with the water to the city. But by the time it reached the city, it was lukewarm. So we can see Jesus' words, you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, really meant something to them. And the image of spitting out water would have been a familiar one. If you were a visitor arriving in the city, you'd go to the fountain to get a drink, take a swig of it, and often just spit it straight out because it was this disgusting, lukewarm water. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The letter continues to challenge the church, again using images that they would recognise very clearly, because they were the very things that these people were most proud of, their wealth, their beautiful garments, and their famous eye ointment. The church had become self-sufficient and independent, uncaring, a church that didn't represent Jesus, but a church that represented the culture around them. They describe themselves, it says, you say, I am rich, I am of acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. How wrong they were. 
They were blind to the real state of affairs. And blind spots are tricky because we're blind to them. Many times God corrects us, but occasionally he needs to use a sledgehammer to free us from the things that we cannot be freed from any other way. I wonder what our English blind spots are, or our list of blind spots. It's not an easy question to answer ourselves because they are blind spots. One of the gifts that you bring when you're coming in from other cultures is that you have eyes that can see things that we don't. And we need to be humble enough to hear you when you point out our blind spots. Generation Z is brilliant at pointing out blind spots to the older generations. And we need to be listening. In some ways, I don't think our blind spots are too dissimilar to the people that we're reading about today. Self-sufficiency. Tick. Independence. Tick. The right to choose our own forms of truth. Tick. So what do we do? What do the Laodiceans do with those, to deal with those blind spots? Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Pure gold is costly. It's a costly process. There's lots of references in the Bible to being purified and refined. For example, Proverbs 17 verse 3 says, The crucibles for silver and the furnaces for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Zechariah 13.9 says, And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. Times of testing or refining are often the times that we get to see where we are at spiritually. Our times of suffering become the opportunity for our faith to go through the fire. God's intention is never to burn us, but to allow the fire to refine us. We can choose to pull away from God, or we can find him in the fire. Our third daughter, Kimberly, she knows I'm going to talk about her, was born prematurely at 29 weeks. It had been a tough couple of months beforehand, and I had so little in me spiritually to cope. At that time, Bruce and I were home group leaders, we were part of the church leadership team, I was already the mum to two other young children, and I had just hadn't realised how empty I'd become spiritually. It took this physical crisis to highlight my spiritual crisis. Late that night after Kimberly had been born, I was sitting in my bed and feeling really shell-shocked. She was up in the intensive care unit being monitored, and I was alone in a side room. And God spoke really clearly to me then, and he said, Sue, you need me to just hold you and give you a hug. It's the only time I have physically felt God's presence. I literally felt arms come around me and hold me, and I just wept and wept while God hugged me. Times of sorrow can be the most precious of bittersweet times that draw us near to God. For the Laodiceans, God was calling them to let him take them through refining.